0: Today, as we pick up in our study here in the book of Acts, I want to start with a question, and really it's a personal question, and one for us to think about throughout the entirety of the message today. And the question is this, and I want you to seriously consider it. The question is this, are you content to be normal? As a follower of Jesus Christ, is that okay with you? Are you content to be normal? Today, I take up on a theme really on a truth that I talked about years ago, and I truly believe it, and that truth is this. A radical Savior ought to have radical disciples, and I think that is a great truth. I think that is, that is only fitting. A radical Savior, Jesus, ought to have radical disciples. That's the reality. A radical Savior, a Savior that came not for any need of his own, a Savior that came and went powerfully to the cross, to save sinners, a a, a Savior that has been risen from the dead, that exists as the defeater of death, as the victor over sin, a radical Savior, it is only fitting, should have radical disciples. And I, I said that years ago. I believe that again today. A radical Savior should have radical disciples. And so again, the question this morning is, are you content to be a normal follower of Jesus Christ. I don't even know if that's a real thing, but is that okay with you? Is that good enough for you? Are you content to be a normal follower of Jesus Christ? Let me just tell you this. I am not. I am not. I I want to be used by God. I want to see folks get saved. I want to see folks that are lost that are hurting, that are dying outside of the truth of the gospel. I want to watch them hear the gospel, receive that gospel, and be saved. I, I I want to see God work. I want to see God glorified in the things that His church undertakes. And I'll just tell you, I'm not content to be normal. Well, I think none of us should be. I think that is really what it is to follow Christ. I don't think any of us should be content to be a normal follower of Jesus Christ. We have an awesome savior. Listen, we have a radical savior and he is deserving of radically committed followers. Today we're going to continue moving verse by verse through Acts and today we're going to continue the account of the conversion of Saul in Acts chapter 9. We started that a couple weeks ago and today it's going to be a strange thing. We're going to look at maybe an overlooked hero of the story. And that is the account of Ananias the disciple. Now, you read through this. He may just be a part of the, the, the story. He may just really be a footnote to the story. But today we're going to look at Ananias the disciple. Today we're going to look at verses 10 through 19. Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 19. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the reverence and the honor of the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 9, beginning in the 10th verse, and God's word says this. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here am I, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, and I am thankful today for a risen Savior. I'm thankful especially today for a hope that stands, a hope that endures. Lord, I'm thankful that we have peace in the finished work, the settled work of Calvary. Lord, I pray as your people, those that are redeemed, that we would say so. I pray that we would exalt the name of Jesus in this hour, in this service, in this message. But Lord, I pray that it would not end here. I pray that as we go out into this world, that we would be an exalting people, pointing to the hope that we have within us. Lord, use us for that. Lord, I pray now as we begin to study your word, I pray that it would truly be a supernatural event. And I believe your word, Lord, is living and active because you said that it is. And Lord, I pray that it would speak to us right now, that it would lead us right now, that it would direct us right now, that it would be personal right now, that we would be shaped. And I pray the result of that is that you would be blessed. Your name would be known. Lord, I pray that today, as we've gathered as the church, I pray if there are some here that do not know you. I pray that that in the hearing of the gospel, the hearing of your word, and the drawing of your spirit, that today they might put their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Let me start off and just let me tell you, and let me, let me be sure and say this. Satan loves half-hearted commitment. You know that Satan loves half-hearted commitments. Satan loves apathetic attitudes. He loves that. Satan loves distracted disciples. Oh that they would get so busy that they would be so overloaded that they would be they would be too busy. Satan loves distracted disciples. And I I want us to be very sure today. We wonder well, what in the world's going on? How do we get to these places? Be very sure his goal is that we would be content. His goal is that we would be comfortable. His goal is that we would even be complacent in the mission of Jesus Christ. As those following Jesus Christ, professing His name, His goal is that we would be complacent. You know what? Maybe He couldn't have stopped you from hearing the gospel. And maybe you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and you've trusted Him And you know what? That's settled. He can't do anything about that. He can't snatch you away. But you know what? He has won a great victory if He can cause you to be complacent in your faith, if He can cause you to be comfortable in your faith, if He can lead you to, over time, have a half-hearted commitment in your walk. I want to tell you, hopefully, we're, we're in the ninth chapter, moving through it. Hopefully, we are seeing, as we move to the book of Acts, in the history of the church that the movement of Christ is taken up by radical disciples. And I read this account and I hear they did this and they went there and they were bold over here and they took up these things and God worked in this way and I I see over and over again the movement of Christ is taken up by radical disciples. Disciples that were committed at all costs. Disciples that even knew that it might cost them their own lives. Disciples that burned inside to see the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we look at the history of the church, we see the movement of God has always gone forward in radical disciples. I want to tell you right now, be very sure, we ought to be the same. I want to tell you right now, we must, be the same. And as we understand what's going on in our day, look at the world we're living in as followers of Jesus Christ, we should be the same. And I'll just tell you this morning, I, I couldn't wait to get here and tell you this, the greatest thing that could happen in the church, and man, we think, well, if this would happen or that would happen, the greatest thing that could happen in the church is that we would get a belly full of complacency we would get sick of complacency and we would come alive as disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what the world needs. We need a church that's alive, that's burning to tell folks of the hope we have in Jesus Christ. The greatest thing that could happen is we'd get sick of complacency and we would come alive in the church of Jesus Christ. Well, in that pursuit, in that understanding, Today we're going to look at this man Ananias. What a tremendous thing it's going to be as we move through these verses. Now I want you to remember the context. Remember Saul is full of hatred for believers. The Bible says he is breathing in murder. He is full of hatred for believers. In fact, he has personally set out to destroy and to stop the movement of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. He sees the threat. He sees what's taking place. He hears the reports, and he has personally set out to stop the spread of the gospel. He has led a savage persecution in Jerusalem, and we read a part of that at the stoning of Stephen. He has led this savage movement to stop the gospel there in Jerusalem. Well, now he is on his way to Damascus to stop the movement there, and I think it must it must grate on him as he hears about things that are happening outside of Jerusalem. Yes, we're persecuting the movement here, but we hear about a movement over here, and he hears about a movement over there, and it is grating on him, and so he has decided to to spread out and stop the movement there in Damascus. Remember the, the verses from last time. He has secured the authority of the high priest to go and to bind those folks, to grab them up, to snatch them up, and to bring them, to cart them back to Jerusalem. And his goal is to kill them. It says he's breathing in murder. He is seeking their destruction. So he has the authority. He has the papers. He's made his way to Damascus. He's on the way seeking the destruction of followers of Christ. Remember the, the account. On the way, miraculously, he meets Jesus. And those were our verses from last time. That was the account from last time on the road. He is very close to, he's drawing close to Damascus. On the road, he meets with Jesus, and Jesus stops him there, and it's a, it's a marvelous, miraculous event. Well, the result of that, he is blinded, and, and we see that he is led the rest of the way to Damascus where he does not eat or drink for three days, and that's where we ended last time. He is led there. Jesus says, go and wait until I give you further instructions, and he goes there, he does not eat or drink for three days, and that starts our verses today. Now, next week, we're going to look at the same verses that we're going to look at today, except we're going to focus on Saul, but this week, as we look at these verses, our focus again is going to be this disciple, Ananias. Now, let me just tell you this, I've never seen this done. As as I've watched this preached, as I've heard sermons about this, this was never the focus. And it it was a footnote, it was talked about, and he was read about, but I've never seen Ananias pulled out and observed, looked at as the focus of this passage. Well, that is our goal today. We're going to see very clearly this disciple, Ananias. So let's look at our verses, starting in, in verse 10. Let me read that. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here am I, Lord. Now, I I want you to think about this man, Ananias. As we begin here in the 10th verse, I want you to think about this man. Now, see what is happening here. Saul is now in the city of Damascus. He's in the city. He has gone there. He is waiting there. And somewhere else in the city of Damascus, there is a man named Ananias. Now, I want you to be very sure it's not the same Ananias from Acts chapter 5, mainly because that Ananias is dead. God killed him. So it's not that Ananias. This is a, evidently a common name. and It is a different Ananias. Well, in the same city, there is Saul, and somewhere else, there is Ananias. And in, in a vision, the Lord And understand from the context, it is Jesus. We read that further down in the verses. Jesus calls his name. The Lord calls his name. Now, I want to think about this, and we're going to move through this verse very slowly. First, I want you to see this. Ananias recognized the Lord. Ananias hears his name. He hears the voice of the one that is calling and he recognizes the Lord. Now, this is no small thing, and here's the point. This disciple is close to the Lord. That's the starting place. This disciple is close to the Lord. He knows who the Lord is, Lord. He he knows his voice. He recognizes his voice. And so the first thing we see today, this disciple is close to the Lord. Now, listen very carefully. To be a radically used disciple, to be a radical disciple for Christ, listen very carefully, we have to be close to the Lord. Understand that. To be a radically used disciple of Jesus, we have to be close to the Lord. That means we can't be far off. That means we can't be distant. Maybe we've become content to be distant, But we have to be, listen, we have to be lock in step with Jesus. We have to be right with Jesus. We have to be moving along with Jesus. We have to be close to the Lord. We have to know his voice. We must be close to the Lord. How does that happen? Now, you already know the answer. You know what I'm going to say. We have to be in his word. We have to be in His Word. If we're going to be close to the Lord, we have to be in His Word. Listen very carefully. You cannot be close. You cannot draw closer. You cannot be consistent in the hearing of the voice of God if you are not consistent in the Word of God. Hear this. Hear this. Be very clear of this today. Listen. Listen. The process of discipleship begins when we pick up the Word of God. Oh, I'd like to be a disciple. Oh, I'd like to be a disciple like that. Oh, what's the program of discipleship we have at our church? Listen very carefully. The program of discipleship begins when we pick up the Word of God. We must be consistent in the Word of God. Let me tell you this, the flip side. And if we are not, we're destined to be normal at best. Oh, I'd like to be a disciple. Oh, I'd like to be close to Jesus. Oh, I'd like to recognize the master's voice. We must be consistent in the word of God. The process of discipleship begins when we pick up the word of God. All right, second thing we see in this verse, this guy, this man named Ananias, the second thing we see was committed to the Lord, He's close to the Lord, but we also see he is committed to the Lord. Now, the, the Bible calls him, God calls him a disciple. Now, I want to tell you, that is a big deal. God in his word, not, not somebody else, but God in his word says, Ananias, he is a disciple. That's how God marks him. That's what God calls him, Ananias. You're going to find a, a disciple, his, his name is Ananias. Now, I want you to see what that means. A disciple, Now, first off, it didn't have a Christian or a Christian understanding, uh, but, but it starts off, and it's one who puts themselves under somebody else's teaching, a rabbi, a master, a certain school of thought. And so you would say, you know what, I would like to learn what they're teaching. I would like to learn that school of thought. And so you would put yourself under that teacher. It was a system of learning. They would sit under their teaching. Oftentimes, they would would stay with them, sometimes for years. Sometimes, they would travel with them. Now, in in the Greek word that we have here, a disciple is a pupil. It is a learner, and then here's the one I like. It is a follower or one under. You have placed yourself under their teaching, one that is under. So, I want you to see what this is saying about Ananias. He is under Christ. He is submitted to Christ. He has placed himself as a follower of Jesus Christ. He is a disciple of Jesus. And so listen, he is following Jesus. He is submitted to Jesus. He has placed himself under Jesus Christ. Now here I want you to see this. To be a radical disciple, to be radically used as a disciple, isn't that what you want? To be radically used as a disciple, we must be under Christ. Simple as that. We we must be submitted to Jesus. We must be under Jesus. We must be committed to Jesus. Now, Now, what that means is that there's a place where we say, Jesus, you are truly Lord. Jesus, you are master. Jesus, you are teacher. The one that I want to learn his ways, it is you. I am under you. And it's to say, Jesus, I am submitted, I am committed, and I am following you. Right now I want you to get this. Be sure of this. You cannot be self-directed and be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Well, maybe a little bit. No, you can't. You cannot be self-directed and be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not our way. It's not your way. It's not our plan and we'll pray that God blesses it. It's not my priority set and I'll somehow mingle Christ or God into it. You cannot be self-directed and be a disciple of Jesus Christ. God says Ananias is a disciple. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. Let me tell you, we, we ought to set that as a goal. I think we got a lot of goals today. and A lot of them are just messed up. A lot of them aren't going to amount to a hill of beans. We ought to set that as a goal. Listen today, the greatest title that you could have is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Listen, you might be a teacher. You might be a farmer. You might sell insurance. You might be a mother or father. Those are, those are things that you do. But the greatest title that you could have is, you know what, that person is a disciple of Jesus Christ. They are under the authority of Jesus Christ. They are learning the ways of Jesus Christ, and they have placed themselves there. The greatest title that we could have is a disciple of Jesus Christ. All right, the next thing we see here, he is close to the Lord. He is committed to the Lord. He's under the Lord. And the third thing we see in this, in this one verse already is this. Ooh, this is a big one. He's available to the Lord. Did you hear that? He is available to the Lord. Now I want you to notice the progression of this verse. Now I looked at this 10th verse, and it's amazing how much stuff is already coming out of it. A very simple verse, a very short verse, but I want you to notice the progression of this verse. Here's verse 10 in a nutshell. There is a disciple. God calls his name. He answers, here am I, Lord. Do you see how quick that is? Do you see how succinct that is? There is a disciple. God calls his name. He answers, here am I, Lord. He is available. Now I listen to that. I read that. And I think about Samuel. God calls his name and he answers. I think about Isaiah. Who shall go for me? And God calls his name and he answers. And now we have Ananias. God calls his name and he says, here am I, Lord. I I, I want us to be very sure of this. Your good intent, your time of preparation, your heart's desire mean nothing if when God calls you, you can't be found. Oh, Lord, I've been in church for 28 years. Oh, Lord, I've memorized half the New Testament. Oh, Lord, don't you remember the VBSs that I volunteered for? All the preparation. Oh, Lord, I want to be useful in your hand. Oh, Lord, I want to be mighty in your cause. All of the good intents, they mean nothing if when the Lord calls, you can't be found. Listen, if you're too busy, if you're too distracted, if you've gotten lazy, if you've become just unwilling You cannot be a radical disciple of Jesus Christ. You cannot be radically used as a disciple of Jesus Christ if you can't be found when the call of Jesus Christ comes forward. Wow, do you see where Satan makes an inroad here? And I I read this and I think, man, this is our day. People claim Jesus Christ and they love him. They talk about Jesus Christ. But man, they're too busy And oh, they're so busy, they're so overloaded in their life with all the things that are going on, all the the things of the world, all the things. And God comes along and says, you know what, I've got something for you to do and you won't even believe it if I could tell you and it's going to be tremendous. I've got a great purpose for you. And we start to say, God, don't you know all the things going on in my life? God, don't you know how busy I am? God, don't you know how important I must be? Look at all the activities I've got. God, can't you see I'm busy now? God, can't you see how tired I am? Lord, I'm so tired I couldn't do it if I wanted to. I'm going to say this because my generation needs to hear this. How sad it will be to get to the end and have done all of the things but the main thing. How how sad it will be to have done all the stuff. Let me tell you what I built. Let me tell you where I went. Let me tell you the things I accomplished. Let me show you the listings of stuff. How sad to have done all of the stuff except for the stuff that God prepared for you to do. How sad to get all the way to the end and look back at the course of your days and none of it have mattered for eternity. Oh, how sad that'll be. Oh, the business I built. All the things I did. Did you see how popular I was, Lord? And none of it matters for eternity. We're in a generation chasing things that do not matter. We're marking them off one by one. We're in a generation chasing things that eternally do not matter. Ananias is available. God calls his name, and he says, here am I, Lord. All right, he gets his orders, verses 11 and 12. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying, verse 12. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now, if you think about it for a second, these are crazy verses. There's a crazy thing going on here because Ananias has a vision that Paul's had a vision, that Saul's had a vision. And so we got, go. you're having a vision that you're going to go tell him that he had a vision and you're in that vision. And so it's kind of a, a crazy thing here. Understand this, God is supernaturally working. God is supernaturally working. He says, get up and go find this guy Saul, lay hands on him, that he might regain his sight. Verses 13 and 14. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard, listen, from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Now I want you to notice something in, in these verses. Notice what's happened here. God doesn't say, hey Ananias, I've met with him and his heart has changed. He doesn't say, hey Ananias, I met with him on the road and he's had a change of heart and it's going to be safe for you to go there. He doesn't, he doesn't hear any of that. Listen, the news of what Saul was doing had already gotten to Damascus. And, and those that had preceded Saul got there, and they said, you know what? He got permission, and if I could tell you the stories of what he did back in Jerusalem, you're not going to believe what he's coming here to do. And the threat that he had posed has been told to him. He's heard the warnings that's gotten there, and that's all he knows. The last report he heard is there is a guy named Saul, and he's from Tarsus, and he has papers, and he's coming to stop the movement of Jesus Christ. That's all he knows. And God says, Ananias, go. You know what, Ananias, he's logical. He says, God, I know who he is. He says, Lord, I know what he's done. I've heard what he's done. Lord, I met some eyewitnesses and they told me what he's done. Lord, I know why he came. I know why he's in Damascus. Listen very carefully. Most likely, One of the ones that's going to be bound and carted back to Jerusalem and possibly killed. Don't you think it's this disciple Ananias? We're going to stop the movement of Christ in this town. We're going to stop the spread of the gospel. Don't you know one of the ones that's going to be tied up and taken back to Jerusalem and put under the threat of murder Don't you know it was going to be Ananias? It is his life that Saul seeks. It is his mouth that Saul wants to shut. Ananias says, Lord, this is crazy. Lord, this is crazy. I know who he is. Lord, this is crazy. Listen to verses 15 and 16. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. To bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Now we're we're gonna look more at those verses next week as we look at Saul. But God says, "You know what, Ananias, go." Lord, don't you know who he is? He says, "Go." What do you do when God's plan is illogical? What do you do when God's plan seems terrible? My lands, what what do you do? More than that, let me tell you this. What do you do if God's plan is a suicide mission? You see, he knows what's waiting for him there. What if if God's plan is a suicide mission? Lord, it's going to cost me everything. Lord, he's actually looking for me and I'm going to go present myself to him. What do you do if you don't like God's plan? Are we able to say that? That's what he says. Lord, I don't like your plan. What do you do? You say, God, I see your plan. I don't like your plan. What do you do if you don't like it? That's what Ananias says. I don't want to go. I don't like your plan. What do you do? Verse 17 says, So Ananias departed and entered the house. Oh my lands, this plan doesn't make any sense. This plan is illogical. This is a suicide mission. What do you do if you don't understand the plan? The verse says, Ananias departed and he entered the house. Here's what you do. You do it anyway. Friends, to be radically used by God. Listen. Listen. We're going to have to be radically obedient to God. We're going to have to be quickly obedient to God. That's the only way he can use us. I look at this guy, man, as I've studied this, I've got a a newfound affection for this guy, Ananias. And I think, man, what a tremendous person he was, what a tremendous disciple he is. And And I think, whoa, I'd like to be like Ananias. Let me tell you what my favorite thing about Ananias is. Is it that he's bold? Yes, he's bold, but that's not it. I wish I was that bold. Is it that he's close to the Lord? Yes, he's close to the Lord. I'd like to be like that. That's not it. Is it that he's available to God? Yes, he answers here my eye. He's available to God, but that's not it. My favorite thing about Ananias is he is obedient to the Lord. Ananias doesn't like the plan. Ananias isn't sure of the plan, but he knows the Lord that he follows. He trusts the Lord that he follows, and he seeks his glory even at the cost of his own self. And he is obedient to the Lord. My prayers that I'd be as obedient. My prayers that I'd be crazily, quickly as obedient as Ananias. I want to tell you, I I want God to be able to know, you know what, if I say to that man, go, he's going to go, and he's not going to waffle, and he's not going to throw a bunch of excuses back. I want him to be able to say, if I've got something to be taken care of, if I've got a need that needs to be met, if I'll say, you go, I would say, quickly, Lord, I'll go. Oh, that we would be as obedient. Friends, that has to be us. 2020, we live in a world, listen very carefully, that's turning away from God. We live in a world that is turning away from God, that is walking away from God, that is spitting in the face of God. We live in a world that's becoming more and more vile every single day, every every single news thing we hear. We live in a world, listen, where the gospel of Jesus Christ is going silent. And you can listen to sermons and you can go to churches and you can hear every man be be good thing, but you can't hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we live in a world where the gospel's going silent. And in 2020. We're going to have to be obedient. Lord, what if it gets us killed? Lord, it's not going to be popular. Lord, I don't like your plan. In this day, we're going to have to be obedient. Oh, that we'd be obedient. Though none go with me, I still will follow. What if it costs me all of my friends? We're going to have to be obedient. Lives hang in the balance. Lives hang in the balance. Oh, for obedient disciples. So what happens? Let me read you the rest of these verses. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, that's awesome. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you are coming, has sent me... Ooh, that's awesome. Has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. And he took food. He hasn't eaten in three days. And he took food and was strengthened. What happens? God works, God moves. I, I, I think sometimes we read through that too quickly. His sight is back. His sight is back. He's now a follower, a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the count tells us there. As a believer, he is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. As a believer, he is baptized. Can you imagine that? As a believer, he is baptized, signifying the victory that he has trusted Jesus Christ. Saul the great and terrible persecutor is saved. Do you see what has happened? Saul is saved and he is baptized and he's filled with the Holy Spirit of God and the world is put on notice. Saul has been saved. God moves. God moves. Last week, I said, I believe the greatest Christian that's ever lived, I believe, is Paul. And I believe that. I believe the greatest impact. Now there's there's some great believers, yes, but the greatest impact of a believer, I, I believe, has to be the apostle Paul. And you you watch, he is a teacher. And my land's the depth of what he teaches. He is a preacher, he is a proclaimer. He's the one that says, do the work of an evangelist. That's Paul. He trains pastors. He, he trains and sends pastors. He, he trains Titus and he, he trains Timothy. He starts churches and he goes there and, and folks receive the gospel and they're saved and, and a church movement starts there and he puts a pastor in place. He writes most of the books of the New Testament. And remember I said last week, last time, if we could trace back our family tree of faith meaning if I could find out who led you to Christ and who led them to Christ and who led them to Christ and I could walk it on back and find out who led them to Christ, I believe if we walked it all the way back, for most of us here that have trusted in Christ, if we could walk it back and if we could walk it back, I believe it would pass through Paul. I believe it would, almost all of us here, I think most of us here, if not all of us, that lineage would have to go through this guy that we just read about, the Apostle Paul. But do you know, if you walked it one step back, do you know it would go through a man called a disciple? A man that's recorded in nine verses in Scripture. A man that was close to the Lord. He was close to him. He heard his voice. A man that was committed to the Lord. He put himself under him. He was a disciple. A man that was available to the Lord that would say, here am I, Lord, here am I a man that was radically obedient to the Lord, a man that was used by the Lord. Seldom mentioned name, Ananias. Are you content to be normal? Are you content? Is that okay with you to be normal? Let me tell you, as as the days wrap up, as... The day of Jesus coming again draws near. I want to tell you it's too important. The cause is too important right now. I want to tell you the cost is too high. It's it's in eternities now. It's weighed out in eternities. Not in church attendance. Not in tithing. It's weighed out in eternities. Eternal destinies. That's the cost. I want to tell you the need is too great today. And a radical Savior deserves radical disciples. Let's pray. every Father, we come. And Lord, I pray that you'd forgive us. I ask that you'd forgive us where we've, we've thought, you know, I, I'm saved. I've got that settled. Lord, I, I'm content in that. And we've been apathetic to tell somebody else. We've been, We've been apathetic not to tell a lost and dying world. We've become complacent. Forgive us for that. Lord, I pray as we read of this man Ananias, I thank you for his faithfulness. I thank you for his boldness. I thank you for his commitment. Lord, I'm thankful you preserved it for us to read and study on this day. And Lord, I pray that we would mirror this disciple Ananias. I pray that we would be useful tools in your hands. I pray that a lost and dying world would see the hope of Jesus. Lord, let us not be content any longer. Wake us up, Lord. And use us. Lord, use us. Lord, use us. Lord, I pray, thanking you for this message. I pray we've been trained. I pray that we've been instructed. I pray, Lord, that we would not be the same we couldn't be, leaving here. Lord, I pray for some here that do not know you. I pray that they would know the urgency of, of a disciples that we would make other disciples. And I pray that in the hearing of the gospel, Lord, that they would be saved today. That they would find their purpose in you today, Lord. Their salvation, their hope in you, Lord. I pray for that as well. Lord, move in our midst. We love you. We trust you. We praise you. We seek you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.